Good morning, everyone. My name is Lizna, and welcome to episode three of Brain Splurge. So how is everyone doing on this wonderful Saturday? How was y'all's week? Let me tell you guys about my week. For starters, I thought my classes started on Monday, so I caught up at seven in the morning and was just running around my room panicking, thinking I don't have all my stuff ready. Then I go on my phone and use like, you know, my college app where all my classes are posted and my classes aren't there. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. Then after a few minutes of digging up info, by which I mean like literally less than a minute, come to find out my classes don't start until next week or well, this coming week, you get what I mean. Anyways, then I sat on my bed a little ashamed of myself, but you know what? Shit happens. It's fine. Um... I also got my period, so my emotions and hormones just have me in an absolute chokehold for these past few days, but I shall prevail. I don't know how, but I will. Um, but on Friday, I decided to have a little get your shit together, Lizna day. So let me tell you guys about that. So I got up earlier than I normally do and got the idea of going on a little nature walk. I got this idea from going on the nature walk that I went on on Thursday evening And I was just relishing the feeling of actually feeling a little more stable than I normally do in that time window. So I decided to move that walk to mornings and try to make it a routine to take morning walks on weekdays no matter what. Because it actually helps to lift my mood. And that walk, by the way, didn't happen. Because two seconds after I turned my alarm off, I just passed out again. Anyways, then I went downstairs and had myself a nice little breakfast. I don't have an appetite like right when I wake up, so I usually prefer to wait a little bit before having breakfast. But anyways, after breakfast, I went and I cleaned up parts of my room. And not to toot my own horn or anything, but toot toot! It's coming along so well. I also decided to see what parts of my altar needs to be reorganized and which spells have finally like come to the end of their run. So then I know which ones I need to remake for the full moon that's coming up tomorrow. And I do plan on making some more. But afterwards, I took a shower, then I went to work, and then just got home and did what I usually do. So yeah, that was my week. on last week's episode i asked you guys how can you be good to yourself this week and i was good to myself this week by going out of my way to take care of myself and making the effort to take care of my mind and body i also bought such a cute dress on friday and i got it for like such a good freaking price too i'm so happy it's so cute um uh but yeah i went out to make the effort to take care of my mind and body because they do so much for me and i should thank them for it every now and then So you guys, take the time to thank your mind and body every now and then because they do so much for you and they're capable of so many things that you just don't know yet. Um, You know, I was thinking like how one of those kids shows like Dora, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and all that, the MC, meaning main character, not mother children, the MC would ask a question and just like stare into your soul waiting for you to answer. I'm going to start doing that. Now, obviously, I won't be able to stare into your soul. But we'll pretend like I'm staring at you. You get the gist. So let's do that. So what did you do that was good this week? That's great. Moving on. As I mentioned in the last episode, this episode is going to focus solely on one topic. And that is orcas. This is something that I'm extremely passionate about. I've been passionate about it ever since I was a child, so I'm really going to be going in on this because it's not just me talking about orcas today, it's also me talking about my absolute hatred for places like SeaWorld, the Miami Seaquarium, or any like park that includes whale and dolphin shows. They're called dolphinariums. And in all honesty, places like those 100% 
actually a thousand percent deserve to get their names bashed. They deserve to get shot on, and they deserve no money whatsoever because there is no entertainment in confinement. And I know you're probably thinking, but don't they help the animals? Don't they protect the animals, etc., etc.? And the thing is that that's not even close to what they do. They don't help their animals because they don't give a fuck about their animals. Um, all this conservation and protection stuff that they feed to their visitors or any just poor idiot looking for right information from the wrong place, it's basically propaganda. And I learned this the hard way because at one time I actually believed that propaganda. Now, my whole anti-dolphinarium agenda that I'm about to continue spewing out mainly surrounds orcas because one, their campaign is also heavily based on orcas and two, they're my absolute favorite animal and I will fight tooth and nail for those rad little dudes. But before we dive deep or even deeper into the sea shit talk world that I'm about to go ahead and get into, I'm going to go and give you guys some orca fun facts. And by fun facts, I just mean I'm going to go into full on like hyper mode and just absolutely start info dumping for the next few minutes. So strap in tight, tighter than you already are. For starters, orcas or killer whales technically aren't even whales. They're actually just huge, large, ugh, they're big dolphins, okay? So they belong to a, an, a, oh, I can't talk. They belong to an aquatic species group called cetaceans, which are known for being completely aquatic, fucking obviously, um, having streamlined bodies and a carnivorous diet. So cetaceans are whales, dolphins, and porpoises. The reason why orcas even got the name killer whales is because back in the 19th century, I believe so like the 1800s. I don't know. I've never been good with history and I don't and I'm bad at math. They were originally called whale killers and this name was given to them by hunters or whalers specifically because they were seen as an obstacle for, to them because they were, you know, killing and eating whales. Then as time went on their names got flipped from whale killers to killer whales. Now, their scientific name is Orsinus orca and in Latin Orsinus means the kingdom of the dead, I believe. Do correct me if I'm wrong. And then once again in Latin, orca means a large-bellied pot or jar, which is in reference to the shape and size of the whale's body. And orcas are also nicknamed as the bringers of the death for obvious reasons. And then another nickname they have is wolf of the sea. There are three main types of orcas. Transient orcas, resident orcas, and offshore orcas. Transient orcas are known best for traveling and migrating. Uh, they have pointed dorsal fins. Their diet consists of other marine mammals, which include seals, sea lions, other whales, and even dolphins. It's kind of just like how bigger sharks will eat smaller sharks. And adding on to that, they also eat sharks as well. So newsflash, sharks are unfortunately not at the top of the food chain. Orcas are. Resident orcas live along the coast and basically stay there their whole lives. They have rounder dorsal fins and their diet mainly consists of fish as far as I know. And from what I've read, I think their favorite is salmon. I think it just depends on where they live. Um, and there are three populations of resident orcas, Alaskan residents, northern residents, and southern residents. And as for offshore orcas, not much is known about them because they were actually discovered very recently. So I can't really say much about them other than the fact that, you know, they exist. They became my favorite animal when I was about six years old, when my first grade teacher took a few days to teach my class about them. And I remember going home to my mom all happy, like, we learned about something called killer whale. It's so cool. It's my favorite animal. And I remember my mom telling me that I should pursue marine biology if I liked the animal so much. And ever since then, honestly, my heart's just been set on it. And my dream is to become a marine biologist, even before I could pronounce the word biologist.
And now here I am in college, studying to get my degree to become a marine biologist to complete my lifelong dream of hanging out with killer whales. Oh, my shoulder just popped. Hanging out with killer whales in the wild. I also have a tattoo of a killer whale on my wrist to kind of represent the path that I'm taking in life and to have it as a motivator that I should never give up on my dreams. But now, enough of the sappy stuff because we are going to get into talking some real shit because this place has me absolutely livid. Or well, these places. But the biggest red flag of SeaWorld that I want to talk about is how they've kidnapped so many orcas to be held prisoner and forced to perform in their parks. So I believe they started out by kid- um, capturing in Washington. And then once they were given like the no-no by the government, then they moved on to Iceland where they would start capturing there. And then eventually now they are no longer allowed to capture whales anywhere. And so they would uh, stick to forcibly breeding their whales. And that also included prematurely breeding and even inbreeding. The biggest example of that would be Tillicum. He is most known for the awful tragedy that occurred in February of 2010, where him and veteran trainer Don Branshaw were performing a show called Dine with Shamu. And unfortunately, the show ended with Tillicum taking the trainer's life. Now, I don't want to go into detail about the incident because I feel like that would be extremely disrespectful towards Dawn and towards her family. All I really want to say, honestly, is that may she rest in peace. It was in no way her fault. And it was also not Tillicum's fault, but it is very much the company that is to blame and that needs to be held accountable because this incident was very much preventable and it was extremely reckless on their end. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But... Switching back to Telecom, he has been involved in multiple incidents in the past. One involving in um, Sealand of the Pacific and then one involving in SeaWorld before 2010. So he was never really used for shows, but he was basically used as a breeding bank for SeaWorld. They would um, have him breed with the other orcas artificially. And those details I don't really want to get into because they're very gory and kind of like medical. But 30 or so years later, Tilikum is the father to more than 50% of SeaWorld's orcas. More than half of the entire company's orcas. Fortunately enough, SeaWorld has stopped breeding their orcas because of public outrage. But the downside is that they're still breeding their other animals. They also have been saying for years now that they're going to expand their orca tanks, which will mimic their natural environment. And it's going to be such a huge improvement from what their tanks and setups have been in the past. Only thing is that they've been saying this, but not doing anything about it. I first caught wind of this news when I was 12 and in seventh grade. Now I'm 20 and in college and still see no update on this amazing project that they've been boasting about. And the people have been waiting on this for at least eight years. Tillicum's story is so, like, extensive that if I just wanted to talk about him, I would probably have to split this episode into two parts. So I'm going to try my best and give you guys, like, a summarized version of his story. So he was captured from the ocean near Iceland in 1983 when he was about two years old. He was taken to a marine park called Sealand of the Pacific in British Columbia, Canada, where he lived with two other older female whales who were extremely, prog- um, not progressive, aggressive towards him. And at nighttime, once the shows and stuff would be over, the whales, they'll be taken into this like metal tank called the module. And in the morning, when the trainers would come out to put the whales back into the main show pool, not even show pool, it was just like a net in the middle of the ocean, uh, Tilikum would just be covered head to tail in rakes and cuts and scratches, and he would even be bleeding sometimes. 
But um, then on February 21st, 1991, he was involved in his very first incident, um, which resulted in the death of trainer Kelty Byrne. And again, out of respect for the victim and her family, I will not go over the details of the incident. And I just want to give my condolences towards her family. And again, may she rest in peace. Afterwards, Sealand closed down and Tilikum was sold to SeaWorld, where he spent the rest of his life being a breeding bank and only coming out to perform whenever it would be time to do the big splash at the end of each orca show. And for anyone who hasn't been to SeaWorld, please don't go, by the way. Um, the big splash segment is basically at the end of each like whale show that they have. All the whales, they would like line up on the edges of the tank and splash the audience with their with the with their tails. And then Tilikum would come out and then he would like splash everyone and like jump around in the pool and just be like, oh look at me, I'm such a big whale, I can splash and just be paraded like a fucking circus animal. But um where was I? Yeah, big splash. Tilikum was one of the most aggressive orcas at SeaWorld due to the stress of captivity that he had to endure for so long. And unfortunately, on January 6, 2017, Tilikum passed away in a barren con- concrete tank-, tank due to a lung infection only in his early 30s. And that's really no way to die. No one deserves to die that way. There's a documentary called Blackfish that I would highly, highly recommend you guys check out. It's on Netflix and I believe some other streaming platforms as well. I would say to check your sleep streaming platforms to see if it's on there. But this documentary goes really in-depth in telling Tilikum's story and the marine entertainment industry as well. So um, Because they even have former SeaWorld trainers come and speak out on it on like how like bad the industry is. But yeah, I really recommend that you guys check it out. Now, moving on from SeaWorld, we're going to talk about Lolita, who is currently alive and being held captive at the Miami Seaquarium. And her case and story is something that I've been following ever since I was in middle school, and I've still been keeping up to date with it. So let's get started with that. Lolita is from Elpod from the Salish Sea. And in 1970, she was captured in Puget Sound during the Puget Sound Roundup, which is known as the biggest orca capture in history. Her and family member Hugo were sent to the Miami Sea Aquarium after capture where they lived in horrific conditions. What what was Hugo's tank is now the manatee tank, manatee tank at the Sea Aquarium. And my goodness, you guys, I was looking up photos for reference. And when I got a look at the tank, I... Honestly, I felt like throwing up. I cannot even begin to tell you just how small the manatee tank is. And they, and they house multiple manatees. My community swimming pool is bigger than their manatee tank. And that swimming pool was used to house a full-grown fucking killer whale. Um, I want to give a trigger warning for what I'm about to say next. Because it's going to get kind of graphic. But Hugo, unfortunately, didn't last all that long at the Seacrium. But... As sad as it is, it's really not a surprise. The stress had obviously gone to him. And so one day he began to repeatedly bang his head against the tank walls. And he had an aneurysm and passed away. The confinement and stress of captivity drove the poor baby to suicide. Um, But Lolita lives in what is known as the world's smallest orca tank. And her tank is so small that it's been deemed as illegal. But there has been no action taken by the higher-ups anywhere in Florida. Um, her tank is only 80 feet long, 60 feet wide, and 20 feet deep. She can't even properly swim in her tank because of how small and shallow it is. So orcas, they exhibit a behavior called spy hopping, where they'll stick their heads out of the water. And they'll do this for multiple reasons, whether it be to look around, get a good look at their environment, or even just to play around sometimes. But when Lolita spy hops, 
her tail, okay, forget touching the bottom of her tank, her tail fluke, like the fins at the end of her tail, they curl in to the point where it starts to touch her actual tail itself. Like her tail makes a full circle because of how shallow it is. Um, her tank mates are just two white-sided dolphins, and the only stimulation she really gets is the multiple shows she has to perform in a day. The same routine, over and over and over, in the blistering Miami sun. Um, August 8th of this year marked the 51st anniversary of her capture. She has been living in this little gra- glass teacup for 50 years, five decades. And she's the oldest living orca in captivity, as far as I know. No one really knows how she managed to survive for this long. But, I mean, she just has, like, a fighting spirit that, like, wants to survive. Because I think she knows that maybe one day she will be able to be set free or at least retired. Um, I believe that she should at least be retired to a sea pen, which is a huge, like, closed-off area in the ocean itself. And she can spend the rest of her days just feeling the natural rhythms of the ocean again, just... Something that's basically as close as possible to her natural environment. There's a documentary on YouTube called Lolita Slave to Entertainment. It is pretty old. I think like early 2000s, like somewhere between 2007 to 2009. I can't really pinpoint, but it is so informative and it goes really in depth on her story. So I would highly, highly recommend that you guys check it out. Now, the final orca story that I want to talk about is the most, like, famous orca ever, and he gained fame for, like, a really positive reason, too. This is the story of Keiko, also known as Willie. I hit my finger on my table. Ow. But this is the story of Keiko, also known as Willie, the first and only orca to be set free from captivity. Okay, so Keiko was a killer whale that was captured off the coast of East Iceland in 1979, and after spending some time in an Icelandic aquarium, He was then sent to live in Marineland in Canada. During his time in Canada, he contracted a papillomavirus, I believe that's how you pronounce it, and he began to get lesions on his skin and also had to endure bullying by the other orcas at the park. Um, But then he was sent to uh, Reino Aventura, which is now known as Six Flags Mexico, and his health began to just deteriorate for a multitude of reasons, and his skin lesions were getting worse, and it was mainly because of the... uh, warmer like weather and water that he had to like endure living there but in 1993 Keiko was the star of the worldwide famous movie Free Willy and this movie had obviously made him a worldwide celebrity and this fame had actually made Warner Bros um look for a better home for Keiko which kickstarted the Free Willy Foundation and through donations from millions of people and like overwhelming support from especially children his fan base mainly consisted of children the um Oregon the Oregon Coast Aquarium was able to construct a facility just for Keiko and he was then taken there on January 7th of 1996 during his time in Oregon his health just skyrocketed and he was basically there as a part of his rehabilitation process to eventually be returned to the wild then in 1998 Keiko was transferred from Oregon to a sea pen off the coast of Iceland, I think like the western area of Iceland, I'm not 100% sure, where he was being slowly accustomed to the ocean, his trainers would basically take him on walks, where he, where they would all go out in a boat, and he would like explore areas, and then he actually knew to come back, and then he would be taken back to a sea pen, and that was like, you know, his life for some time, um, and then where was I, uh, then the big moment came where he was finally set free, And during his time in the wild, he covered a 900-mile journey and was eventually spotted once again in Norway. 
where he was interacting with humans and like letting children like feed him, pet him, all that. And it had gotten to a point where the government of Norway had to ban people from interacting with Keiko so that he could become independent again and stay that way. So his caretakers relocated to Norway where they could do some parts of the rehabilitation process all over again. Then um, on December 12th in 2003, Keiko had developed pneumonia and ended up beaching himself and ended up passing away. He was given a really like quiet burial that was hidden from the public. Um, and then on February 24th, 2004, the Oregon Coast Aquarium held a memorial service for him where 700 people showed up because they all wanted to honor the whale that changed the lives of my hands. I did a hand fart. <laughs> they wanted to honor the whale that changed so many lives. And then, of course, with my documentary recommendations and all, for this one, I want to recommend a documentary called The Free Willy Story, Keiko's Journey Home. It's less than an hour long, and it's on YouTube. And finally, I want to end this segment by saying that SeaWorld is a big problem, but it's not the only problem. Dolphinariums are a worldwide issue, and in some countries, outdated techniques from the 1940s are still being used. The best way to really, you know, shut down these places is to use your voice. And you don't have to physically go out and protest because that's not possible for everyone. It has never been possible for me, and I've been wanting to protest for a really long time, but I just can't. So I found other ways to use my voice. But um, social media is a huge tool to use if you, if you want to um, use your voice and amplify the voices of the animals that are being held captive. There's also so many petitions on the internet. So if you can, please sign those. I've also been doing my best to sign any like anti-captivity petitions that I come across. And the best and easiest way to bring these parks a step closer to being shut down is simply don't buy a ticket. Don't go. And you'll see the um, entire anti-captivity cap campaign is basically the quote of don't buy a ticket because the less people that go, the less money lining their pockets. So do your part. And I'm going to say this again, don't buy a ticket. And then some final, final recommendations that I want to make are to read the book Death at SeaWorld, which is written by David Kirby. I'm reading it right now. And maybe I'll do a book review on it in a future episode, but for so far, it's been a wonderful and informative read. And also check out the Dolphin Project. They were, they're dedicated to the welfare and protection of dolphins all around the world, wild and captive. And they even have an award-winning documentary called The Cove. I haven't been able to fully finish it, but I hope to sit down and fully watch it one day. But um, yeah, that's all today for today's episode. And I think this was like the longest episode that I have recorded, but I hope that you all were able to take something from it because that was my goal really to spread awareness and to open everyone's eyes to the issue. But yeah, until next week, this has been Brain Splurge. Thank you for tuning in.